Well, I'm happy to see you tonight, and uh, we're going to get right into this this evening, into Revelation chapter 17. If I say Los Angeles, what comes to mind? California. If I say New York City, what comes to mind? Traffic, yep. When I say Washington, D.C., what comes to mind? Yeah. When I think of Las Vegas, I remember the first time that Becky and I flew through Las Vegas, and uh, and uh, we were on our way to San Francisco, as a matter of fact, honey, and uh, we flew into Vegas, and I, I looked down at that city, and it was so glitzy and, and glamorous, and I was just like, wow, this is pretty fancy stuff here, you know, and and uh, of course, when you're from the South, you don't look forward to going to someplace hot for a vacation. And uh, so going to a desert wasn't real appealing to Becky and I. If I say Washington, D.C., I think of politics. If I say New York, I think of financial center, capital of our world. If I think of uh, Los Angeles, I think of entertainment. And like, if I say Detroit, we think of cars, absolutely. There you go. I knew I could get one that you registered with me there on. But in the days of the Bible, if you said Babylon, there was something that immediately came to mind to people when you said Babylon. And maybe to your mind tonight, especially if you've been students of the Bible, there's a lot about Babylon that comes to your mind and to your thoughts this evening. I want to start by just backing up just a little bit and, and reading to you because it's important to understand Revelation 17. Now, we've just been going through this verse by verse and trying to get chapter by chapter. But this is, uh, 17 and 18 is one continuous story. But to really understand Babylon, it's important to go back because Babylon is a spirit. And it's a, and I'll try to show you that as I go through the word tonight. But this won't be in the outline or upon the screen. But the Bible says in Genesis 11, verse 3, and remember I told you when we went through Genesis, everything you find in Genesis you're going to find in the book of Revelation. Well, the Bible says when God had told them to scatter, they said, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. They said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky, and this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. And look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now, Nimrod, who was building this city, was the great, great, grandson of Noah. And that's why it's so important that you have family devotions. That's why it's so important that you're teaching your children. Because you want the legacy of faith. You want to pass down to them the stories of your faith and what God has done in your life. I, look, I love it when I hear from my son Andrew how they're passing down the story of faith to Christopher, excuse me, to Nolan and to Davin. And as we pray over Josiah, we don't give up because we know a miracle is going to be ours in his life. We pray that every day. Uh, Christopher, I'm going to go ahead and share it. I can't wait. Don't tell daddy if you don't want nobody to know. But Christopher and uh, Rachel got engaged last night. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? And Pastor Rick, they did it in their small group. He proposed in their small group last night, and that small group set up everything for them. It was pretty cool. I'll say more about it on Sunday. But the fact that, that Nimrod would forget so quickly the deluge that had come upon the earth, the fact that he would forget so quickly what had happened, boy, that really arrests my attention and thinking because 
in some ways, we've forgotten the legacy of faith that we have as a church and the legacy we have of faith as a nation and what this nation was founded upon. It was never perfect, but there is a legacy of faith. And when we scatter from that faith, when we veer from that faith, it creates all kinds of conflicts. So God scattered them, and the spirit of Babylon in that scattering was scattered all over the whole world, and it's still scattered over the world today. In Babylon, people today, and I laugh when I read this now as a child, I just ate it all up and read it, but I'm reading a book right now on uh, ancient history, and I'm just having the best time going through this book, but I laugh now when they call it the cradle of civilization. And I look back at some of those stories and those myths that come out of the cradle of civilization, and we know where that source came from. It's the spirit of mankind. It's the spirit we're going to build our civilization. It's the spirit we're going to build our organization. It's the spirit that, an attitude that says, if God says use stone, we're going to make brick. If God says to scatter, we're going to stay here and we're going to build ourselves a city. If God says, seek me, we're going to build ourselves a tower, and the tower was an astrological tower where they could try to predict their ways. That was the foreteller of, of astrology. But they said something to me that in this chapter, of chapter 11, that helps me understand Revelation 17. They said, let us make ourselves a name. And we're not talking about a reputation. We're not talking about having a good name, like you're known for your honesty, you're known for your integrity, you're known for uh, your, your kindness or your compassion or gentleness. This was a spirit of pride that had entered into the, to the world because of sin. And they said, we're going to do this. Babylon, Ezekiel says, was the source of all evil. Babylon was the source that that God would say to his people when he was bringing the exiles back out of Babylon, and I'll talk about that a little more in the message. God would say, come out from among her because the exiles, and this is important, the exiles had gotten so comfortable in Babylon. Jeremiah told them, when you go to the city, pray for the city of Babylon. Pray and build houses and plant vineyards, but you're going to come back home. I'm going to bring you back to Israel. Because of their sin, they had been exiled to Israel. But he told them, when it's time to come, come out of Babylon unless you be partaker of her sins because she herself is going to be destroyed. And sometimes we can get really comfortable with the world and want to be a part of the world rather than separate from it. You know the three sources of evil and temptation that the Scripture talks about, and that's the pride of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and, but it's also that part of us where, like Eve, we want to taste, we want to eat, we want to hold of the fruit that God forbid and said, because it will make us like God. You see all of that in Genesis 11, and in Revelation 17, you're going to see the fulfillment of that. Babylon is a religious spirit of rebellion and resistance to God and His Word. That's from Genesis all the way through the prophets, all the way to the book of Revelation. That's important to understand. It's a religious spirit. I don't use those terms an awful lot. You probably have not heard me use those, those words, religious spirit, more than five or six times in the 20 years that I've been your pastor. It's simply because I don't like throwing that out without being able to really explain that. But it's a religious spirit. It cloaks itself from religion. It wants to feel religious. It wants to be spiritual without committing itself, to, without committing one's heart to Christ. It's a, it's a desire to say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not a Christian. I'm religious, but I'm not a Christian. And like from time to time, people have told me. It's a spirit of rebellion to resistance to God and to God's Word. 
In Revelation chapter 16, if you don't mind, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. We're going to read the last uh, three verses of Revelation 16, and then we'll read the first three verses of Revelation 17. And I'm going back to Revelation 16 just so you can see how it's, what's taking place here. Now remember, the seven angels, we talked about this week before last, the seven angels had come out, they had emptied their bowls, the judges were coming, and this is where we ended up, and I, I, I exegeted this last week, so I won't exegete it again, but just listen. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. And the great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled and there was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. This is what I want you to get. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Oftentimes we think if God will send judgment, people will repent. That's oftentimes not true. I've seen many people dealing with conviction, dealing with judgment, dealing with things that happen in their life, but they harden their hearts. And that's what you see in happening here at the end of time. Well, one of the seven angels, remember those seven angels had come out, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Now he's going to take him in the spirit. He's going to show him what's going to happen. He says, come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is coming on the great prostitute, that's Babylon who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads, ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I promised the church at the beginning when we started this, you can understand the book of Revelation. It's not an overly complicated book once we understand what those symbols and types are. And Father, I thank you too that it's a word that has been understood by the church through the centuries. So it's not just a word for the end of time. Lord, it's a word for all Christians for all time. And tonight we come to it. We humble ourselves before you, and I ask you, help me to, Lord, to preach and to teach from this chapter tonight so that we will be ready and we will be wise in how we pray. For it's in Christ's name I ask. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. you can be seated. Well, the scarlet beast is a picture of Satan, and it's a picture of sin. And throughout the scripture, scarlet is this picture of, of, of sin. It's a picture of the devil. The beast here, of course, is representing governmental powers, and I'll get to there in just a moment. But one of the things that I think is important when you look at the book of Revelation, and when you look at, go back to Genesis chapter 11, the Lord had told them what to do. And so we can't blame the devil for the choices we make. We can't blame the devil for the choices that we make about sin in our lives or what we choose to ignore or what we choose to let into our life or what we choose to confront and defeat. And a lot of times people want to say, well, it was this or it was that. We are responsible as human beings for the choices we make. Now, God says that he does take into account the fact when people don't know what to do. But we still know basically right from wrong, and we do know that there's a God. And so tonight as we look at this and there's satanic deception, you can't think for one moment 
The people are not responsible. We are responsible. Babylon is found wherever there is satanic deception. Babylon is found where there is satanic deception. To understand Babylon, you need the background of the Old Testament. You need the background of the book of Genesis that I have uh, preached to you and we spent quite a bit of time in. You need the background of Daniel that we spent some time in. But one of the things that is important to understand is that Babylon is not just a place. Babylon was a great city. I remember back in the 80s that there was a whole lot of books being printed that uh, Saddam Hussein was going to build Babylon again. And I remember I was asked in a conference that I was speaking at, and uh, I was asked to speak on some prophetic issues. And so they asked me, he says, do you think Saddam will build Babylon again? I said, no. The Bible says it would be a place of, it would be a place of jackals, it would be a place of waste, it won't be rebuilt. And sure enough, he began to start the construction of that city and it all fell apart on him. And of course, you know the balance of what happened there in Iraq. There's a real tragedy there today. Babylon is a spirit. And I know you're thinking, if you've read Revelation 17, as we sent you the message tonight to read and be prepared, you're thinking, yeah, but the seven hills, we'll get to that in just a moment. Don't get ahead of me right now. What I want you to see is that it is a real spirit. And the Bible says that the earth and her kings and her inhabitants have committed adultery with this prostitute. Now, again, this is all symbolic language, but you really need to get it to see what it was. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. Because God accuses Israel of being a faithless prostitute. Now remember, Israel was pledged to God as his bride, as his wife, and yet he accused her of immorality. God said, I saw that divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery, but that treacherous sister Judah has no fear, and now she too has left me and given herself to prostitution. Israel treated it all so lightly, she thought nothing of committing adultery by worshiping idols made of wood and stone. So now the land has been polluted. The adultery that he's talking about is false worship. The adultery that he's talking about is forsaking the Lord, forsaking the truth, and going after the religions of this world, or maybe the materialism of this world, or maybe the, even the pleasures of this world. In Ezekiel chapter 16, and we don't have time tonight, but Ezekiel has a lot to say about Babylon. Ezekiel says, talking to Israel, he says, what a sick heart you have, says the sovereign Lord, to do such things as these, acting like a shameless prostitute. What is he saying? The fact that they had turned their back on God, the fact that they had backslidden, the fact that they were prostrating themselves before idols, they had forgotten that God in his marvelous deliverance had brought them out of Egypt. God had made them into a nation. God was the source of Israel's splendor, of Israel's wealth and Israel's power. And in the accumulation of all that wealth and power, Israel became totally corrupt and forgot about God. They had a form of religion, but they denied the power of their faith in God, and soon they began to prostitute themselves with others. Matter of fact, there's one point where God will just get all over the husbands of Israel because he says, you ignore the fact that your wives are offering sacrifices to these goddesses, these fertility goddesses. You're ignoring that fact. You're not leading your home in faithful worship. And I'll give you a couple of other places that you could look at. Babylon in the book of Revelation represents the complete culture, the complete culture of a world apart from God. That's the best way I know how to say it. 
It represents the total culture, the complete culture, separating itself from God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And when cultures become like that, cultures cavitate upon themselves and cultures end up being destroyed. When the culture comes to the point that God is no longer welcome in the marketplace, God is no, welcome, no longer welcome in the school, God is no longer welcome in government, God is no longer welcome in art, God is no longer welcome in entertainment, and even in many places where people come together at a church and they go through the forms of church singing the hymns of the church, but they deny the veracity of God's Word, they deny the inspiration of God's Word, the infallibility of God's Word, and they say that that was for another time, but today we're more educated and we know better, and what God calls sin, we're going to call righteousness. And you saw a marvelous demonstration of something yesterday in our nation when it was the believers in Africa and Asia who made up such an overwhelming population with the minority of believers in the United Methodist Church in the United States that stood for the biblical sanctity of marriage. The overwhelming majority of American citizens in the United Methodist Church was hoping that the church would become a place where they would ordain gay bishops, they would ordain marriages, they'd be allowed to perform marriages. But as I was reading some of the interviews with some of the African Christians and the Asian Christians, they said, what has happened to America? America used to send us missionaries. Now we're sending missionaries to the American church. Friends, it ought to be something that brings us to our knees in prayer and this is what spiritual warfare is. Our warfare is not against people, but our warfare is against this satanic deception and these spiritual powers that are behind that. You see, the father of Babylon is Satan. The father of Babylon is Satan. When I look in the mirror now, I'm just being honest with you. There's a lot of times I see my daddy's face. I look in the mirror and I go, there's Buford. <laughs> And you know, there are times when the boys will call me and say, Dad, I sounded just like you today. I, I, I said things that you would have said today. You know who someone's child is by how they, they behave or how they act. And in, in my case, I look in the mirror and I'm looking more and more like my dad every day. And by golly, he was a handsome man. <laughs> but all you have to do is to look at a culture or a church to see, does it mirror Christ? Does it mirror Christ's teaching? Does it mirror Christ's compassion? Does it mirror Christ's love? Does it mirror Christ's power? Does it mirror the, the, the love and the mission and the purpose of Christ? And so when we look at our world, we ask ourselves the questions, whose face are we seeing? When we look at the church, we ask ourselves, whose face are we seeing? The scarlet symbolizes the beast's blasphemies contrasted with the white horse rider and those dressed in white who are faithful and true. You're seeing a contrast before, as, and I've got to jump ahead just a little bit in Revelation if you see this, but if you've read it through several times like I've asked you to do, if you've read it through several times, you already know this. But what you're seeing is this, this, this great prostitute riding upon this scarlet beast and is contrasted with the one who will come riding on the white horse. Do you 
remember that song we sang about 20 years ago called White Horse, you know, and it was talking about Jesus returning from the heavens, and I won't attempt to try to sing it because I want you to stay for the rest of the message tonight, but it was a powerful song. I think Lindell Cooley wrote it, and, and we sang it some when I first came here, but a powerful song about the coming of Jesus and the coming of the saints. Look at these verses with me here in Revelation 19. Now, remember, the rapture of the church has already taken place, but there are still believers that are coming to know Christ. There's, there's evangelization taking place. People are being saved. They're being martyred and persecuted for their faith. But she has been given the finest, of, talking about the church, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the white linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And if you remember, we talked about some of the types. The white linen, you know, me wearing white linen, that doesn't do anything for me at all. It's like I shared Sunday, you know. I you know, as a kid, heaven just didn't excite me. As a ministerial student, I remember saying to my theology professor, heaven just doesn't excite me when I think about the mountains and I think about the food and the wonderful things and, and help me to realize that, that everything we're experiencing here on this earth that is good and holy, whether it's skiing down a mountain, whether it's whitewater rafting, whether it's a good dinner, whether it's your marriage, everything is just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. And so this white lid is symbolic of the good deeds. Then I saw heaven open, Revelation 19, 11, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Does anybody know who that is? That's Jesus. Say it with me. That's Jesus. Its rider was faithful and true, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And then the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So, what you're seeing is the blasphemies of this beast. And you've got to remember, I believe back in Revelation 13 and 14, we looked at all the blasphemies that the beast would utter. We, we looked at how the, the beast would, uh, uh, would be given power by the devil and he would just mock God and mock the people of God. He would be martyring and persecuting the people of Christ in the end times. And so what John wants you to see and what he wanted the church then to see because this was a persecuted church. This was a church that was undergoing, if you remember the seven letters, there were some of them already being martyred. And he's saying, I want you to understand. I want you to see what's going on behind the scenes. There is a power of evil behind all of this. Well, the great prostitute is dressed in purple and scarlet, and her focus is upon materialism. Now, this is important because we go from political power and the war against God to now this prostitute, who is she? The Bible says the woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry, jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. Purple clothing was very, very expensive. Only the very wealthy. It was purple dye was a rare and a treasured item. Now you can just go buy it at the Piggly Wiggly, you know, or you can just pick it up and dye your shirt if you want it to be purple. But it was a rare and a very costly item. She's, dwell, she's wearing scarlet. She's wearing beautiful jewelry. And look at all the gold and precious gems and pearls. God is not against your jewelry. That's not what this is about. This woman represents a religious spirit, and this is what materialism looks like. And she has, the, the kings of this world are prostituting themselves with this religious system. This is not the Roman Catholic Church, by the way, you know. 
If you grew up like I did and you heard, you know, people talk because of the seven hills that this was the Roman Catholic Church. This is not the Roman Catholic Church, but this is that religious system. But it can be, look at me, don't miss this. It can be, and it pained me to write this, it can be any denomination. It can be this denomination, the Assemblies of God. It can be the Baptists. It can be the Catholics. It can be any denomination that turns its back on God. And that's why so many great revival. John Wesley, can you imagine what John Wesley would say about the church even having to have a business meeting like they had this weekend in St. Louis? Can you imagine what George Whitfield, who was one of those Methodists with him, can you imagine what George Whitfield would have said? If you've ever read the sermons of Whitfield and Wesley, boy, they had a white-hot heart for God. Can you imagine what Jonathan Edwards would have said to the Anglicans in that Anglican church that he pastored? Friends, this is, this is what we have to be careful of because there is this, this city that she's dwelling in that she's attracted by, this, 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 this spiritual adultery that's taking place where all the power in the world is concentrated. It's amazing to me as we talk about this, that the waste of the Roman Empire is legendary. When you read about the Romans and the Roman government and what they wasted, the people's lives they murdered, the slaves, the things that they did, and you read about that, they would take pearls and dissolve pearls in vinegar, very expensive pearls, and put it in their wine just to be able to show how rich they were and drink those pearls. They would bring in <clears throat> slaves to, to entertain them and to do whatever they wanted to do with them. It was a powerful city. At that time, Rome at this time was the one persecuting the church, but at that time, Rome was legendary for its temples that it was building. If you remember when we went through those seven churches, we talked about some of the different temples that were built in the different cities to Zeus and to, and to Jupiter. We talked about some that were built to, to honor the different emperors because the emperors were thought of God, like Domitian. And we talked about how when the Christians would not confess Caesar would have let them live if they had said Jesus is Lord and Caesar is Lord. He would have let them live. But they would not compromise. Only Jesus is Lord. Can you say amen? amen? And that's easy for you and I to say tonight because we're not under the threat of persecution. But tonight, 215 million people. Listen to that number. 215 million people in 2018 were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Over 300,000 were martyred, were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And this week our president is negotiating with the number one persecutor of Christians, and that's North Korea followed closely by Afghanistan. Afghanistan moved up from third place to second place last year. So we live in a world where people want us to ignore. It's kind of like, you remember Star Wars movie? These are not the droids you were looking for, you know? It's kind of, we want to ignore what's going on, but there are many, many people tonight, many of your brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted. The Bible says she held a golden, golden goblet in her hand full of immoralities. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. And again, those early Jewish Christians would have caught this. John knew what he was writing. Jeremiah 51 verse 7, Babylon has been a gold cup in the Lord's hand, a cup that made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank Babylon's wine and it drove them all mad. What is 
Babylon's wine. It is we can build ourselves a city, we can make ourselves a name, we can predict our way. We don't need God. We don't need God. And boy, that sounds very appealing. Sounds very appealing, doesn't it? Who doesn't like to sing Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way? You want to do it Jesus' way, right? That's, you know, when you think about this, and boy, did Frank Sinatra have a, a miserable and painful life towards the end. People that he had given to and supported that would ignore him and the fury that he endured. And I often think when I read the book about his life, you're right, Frank, you did it your way. You're a great singer. I've got a CD that I just love to listen to. I love his voice. But when you do it your way, and you don't want Christ to be Lord of all, you're going to be drunk with madness because of what comes on. Now, you're going to write a word here that you've never written. Thank you so much. You're going to write a word here that you've never written in my 20 years of being your pastor, and I apologize. But the great prostitute is the mother of all prostitutes. And I didn't run this by Becky because I knew she'd tell me to change it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Larry. But this is what the Bible says. She is the mother of all prostitutes. Now, I don't want you to think like a street hooker. That's not what I want you to think about. That's not the image I want you to get in your mind. The imagery is unfaithfulness to God. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. Her business, this religious business, this church that has an appearance, this religion that has an appearance of being like Christ, her business is prostitution. Prostitutes wore their names on their forehead in ancient Rome. I don't know if you knew that, but they would, it was a brazen way of saying what they did. It was a brazen way of saying that, you know, I will sell my body to you for pleasure. I will, I will sell my body to you for your money, for you to have pleasure. I will do this for you. And this was the brazenness of it. And I'm sure there were some that out of desperate means where they're trying to feed their children like happened in the Great Depression. This is one of the parts of our history that's ignored. In the Great Depression, so many men left their families, fled from their families, that many women were reduced to selling themselves by railroad tracks just in order to get food to feed their children. And so sometimes when I hear people criticize President Roosevelt for some of the things that he did, I think you haven't read the full history of what was going on. There weren't always people as fortunate as my family who knew how to grow food and lived on a farm. They were able to provide for themselves, but they knew what it was to not have anything, but they had food. Wherever there is pride, wherever there is self-trust, where there is boastfulness, wherever there is power and violence, especially against God's people, these are the characteristics of Babylon's appearance. These are the characteristics of Babylon's appearance. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Think about the Beatitudes. Think about what the Bible tells us about walking humbly, the meek shall inherit the earth. Think about how Jesus calls us daily to confess our sins. Think about our own lives and how sometimes we're tempted to power up and to amp up on one another. 
rather than have a discussion with our children, we want to amp up on them and say, and I used to swear up and down, Becky, I would never say this, but I remember saying to my son one day, because I said so. It used to make me so angry when my dad would say that, because I said so. You know, wherever you find power and violence, wherever you find pride and boastfulness, that's the enemy coming in. Her business is all commercial because this religious form is about what can I get out of it? When I visited the Jade Buddha Temple outside of Bangkok, I remember just weeping. I couldn't help it. I wept as I watched people bringing offerings and poor people bringing in things. And I watched as different religious workers in that temple would come and take those offerings and then laugh and go and eat. And I thought about how religion can be such a big business. None of us who lived through the scandals of the 80s and the televangelists, will ever, none of us will ever forget that. There's a bit of a scar in our hearts and a bit of a scar in our minds because we remember the jokes and we remember the things that were said and we don't ever want to see those repeated again. Because the business of the prostitute is what can I get out of it and the business of the people who, who, who buy the prostitute service is what can I get out of you? That's what, it's just a commercial transaction. It was a commercial transaction with Robert Kraft, the owner of, of the Patriots with the prostitutes in South Florida this week and I prayed for his family and the shame that that must have brought on his family, upon himself and all that's going on and you know it doesn't matter if you get into a Bentley, it doesn't matter if your driver takes you away, it's the shame that you have brought to the people who look up to you, the young people and it's spread abroad. But it was all a business transaction that I'm sure he thought would never be public. The scripture tells us to be sure our sins will find us out. And this time is moving fast now at this point of, of revelation. Time is moving rapidly and quickly. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 15, but you thought your fame and your beauty were your own. Look at that. You thought your fame and your beauty were your own. So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. He's talking about the Jewish people of Israel. He's not talking about walking the street. He's talking about their spiritual adulteries, how they welcomed in the Asteropoles, how they welcomed in all the other worship right into the temple. You remember how young Hezekiah cleansed the temple, and you'll remember how they cut down. You remember how his mother, uh, Jezebel, had brought in all of this false worship. God says they welcomed him. God says in Ezekiel, your priests are hiding in corners of the sanctuary, practicing occult magic and doing things that ought not to even be spoken of. These are the kinds of things that will accelerate and become even more intense in the last days. You see, this religious prostitute, this spirit of Babylon, don't miss this, this is very important. She takes what God gives you for good and uses it for evil. God gave us the gold. God gave us the food. God gave us the grape. God gave us all these gifts of this life. But our job is not to prostitute ourselves to whatever experiences, our job is to glorify God with what he's given to us. 
And we do that as we offer up our marriages to the Lord and husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church and we submit to one another as we take our children and we raise our children in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord as we take our finances and we bring the first fruits of our tithe to the Lord and we, we say, God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? How can I best glorify you? I'm counseling with some young couples getting married right now in premarital counseling. And my question to them, my question to my son Christopher and to his fiance, I feel so good to say that finally, to his fiance Rachel was, are you fully persuaded that your marriage will advance the kingdom of heaven? Because everything we do, we want to glorify God. Our fame and our beauty are not our own. My name and my reputation, whatever talents, whatever gifts you have, they are not your own. God gave them to you to use for his glory and honor. This woman, this religious spirit, though, hates Christianity. She murders Christians and is drunk on their blood. I almost put she murdered the people of God because that would have brought in what she had done to the Jews in times past. But in our particular context tonight, this is to the church. And so I want to just point that out. She's done this to the children of Israel in times past, but now she's turned her fangs. She's turned her hatred upon the Christians. I could see Revelation 17 and verse 6. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I never watch, not because I'm afraid of them, I never watch horror movies, gory movies, scary movies, vampire movies, or anything like that. I'm not afraid of that. I just don't want that trash in my mind. I just don't want it in my mind. So I've been places in the world, and they said, you know, this is where vampires was at, and I'll go, baloney. You know, when I see Romania, I see a beautiful country and wonderful people. I think of beautiful experiences we've had there. You know, I didn't go to see Vlad. But I've tried to get this image in my mind. What this must look like to God. And to that early church who received this letter, this was close to them. It was their relatives. It was their families that were being martyred for the faith. It's quite possible that by this time, Paul the apostle had been martyred. It's quite possible that Paul had been beheaded and, and his body dumped into the sewers of Rome only to flow into the Tigris River, Tiber River. It's quite possible that some of the other apostles had already been martyred. I remember calling my brother-in-law. I just pulled into the garage and Becky was, she was up and there was a rebellion that was taking place in the city that they lived in and CNN was covering it live and I remember calling Philip and waking Philip and Sherry up and he said what's going on he said we hear the gunfire the cannon fire and we prayed for protection over them two weeks later I was down there and I remember that because we didn't have a car we were using a bus that night, there was just a lot of turmoil, a lot of strife that was going on. And that night, the people on the bus put us under siege because all of a sudden, the bus was invaded by some of the rebels. The target was Christians. I remember Noriega being boarded, a plane being boarded when Noriega was still in power in Panama and machine guns being held upon us. You see, there is a spirit in this world that hates Christianity. 
Daniel Ortega of Nicaragua, and I watched a TV show recently that kind of made Ortega look like a hero. Ortega was not a hero. Becky and I worked with the rescue of pastors' children out of these countries. Becky's aunt, as a missionary, fought the Sandinistas as they tried to steal the boys out of the orphanage. In Peru, we were rescuing children that were being, watching their pastor parents being slaughtered because Shining Path felt like if we could kill these pastors and we could frighten the people, but it only caused revival to spread. Sometimes we, in our comfort, in the things, we worry about things that other people lay their lives down upon the line for because they know that heaven matters more than anything else in this world. You can be comfortable in Babylon for a while, but Babylon's days are numbered. I stared at her in complete amazement. The angel then asked him the question. He's going to explain some things to him, but he says, why are you so amazed? I mean, this has been the spirit of Babylon. This has been the spirit of Babylon. Why are you so amazed? <coughs> I will tell you. <laughs> I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. Now, this is where some people think that this is Rome. They would have thought of Rome. I will admit that. Look at me. They would have thought of Rome. They would have thought of Rome. But that doesn't mean that the Roman Empire is going to be the revived empire at the end of days. And I'll get to that in a minute. The beast you saw was once alive, but is it now? And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to his eternal destruction. Remember when we talked about that, when the beast received the mortal wound and then he was brought back to life? He once was and is not. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who has died. That's going to be a deceptive thing when the, in the last days when, the, when this, this, this beast is killed and martyred and then is given back its life. This calls for a mind with understanding or this calls for wisdom. Say, I'm smart tonight. Say it like you mean it. I'm smart tonight. You can understand this. That's why we've been looking at all this so carefully. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen. The sixth now reigns and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. There are more than seven emperors during this time. If we were to go back and look at them, we would see Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Galba, Otho, Vitellus, Vespian, Titus, and Domitian. There's also going to be other Caesars that come and go. I think the seven, and this is so important to understand, and I shouldn't say I think, the number seven is a perfect number. But the number 10 is an indefinite number because of the multiples that take place. And if you remember when we looked at the 120,000, I talked about the number 10. And if you don't understand, I'll try to talk about that more, but it's eight o'clock already. And I, I do want to get through this tonight. But the one that is to come, I think what God is saying to us here in the scripture is that this spirit keeps reappearing. During times of great revival, Great Britain almost succumbed to this. So listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Unless it's being written out of history books, unless it's being out of, written out of history books, history will record there was the preaching of the Wesley brothers and of George Whitfield that saved Great Britain from a total collapse. History will record that. 
because of the spirit. Britain was so rich. Britain was so powerful. And because of the great wealth and power, their wealth and power began to matter more to them than God. So you miss the point if you look at this as trying to identify it with a place. But it makes sense if you identify it with a spirit. If you think for just a moment and go back a little ways to what we've already looked at, the one who once was and now is not and yet will come, he once was and now is not. Why is that? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and defeated the devil. That's what you have to remember. Jesus defeated the devil. He crushed him at Calvary. His foot was on the head of the enemy. Remember Genesis 3.15 where we talked about the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. John is describing a reality behind the earth's rulers rather than successive kingdoms or successive political manifestations. That's why if you try to make this successive political manifestation, so many people get confused because you'll read one writer and he will make it be this president or he'll make it be this emperor or he'll make it be this world ruler. But it's a spirit. What did Adolf Hitler take over in Germany? He took over the Lutheran church. That's why the stories are legendary about the confessing church who refused to preach what Adolf Hitler told them to preach. Hitler, I believe, I could be wrong on this, so, and I'm just saying I could be dead wrong on this, but I believe that Hitler was de demonized because he wanted to be worshipped as a Messiah. He set himself up like that. He wanted, his picture was up in the middle of the churches, like in some churches a cross would be or a Holy Spirit dove would be. This is reality behind earth's rulers. It's not just political manifestations. It's the fullness of evil manifested. You see, there have been godly men who have reigned. One of my favorite, favorite political rulers was Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper became the president of, of, uh, of Holland, the Netherlands. Kuyper wanted everybody to have a free education. So he started the free university. I have taught at the free university and spoke at the free university on several occasions. Kuyper was a great preacher. And under Kuyper's leadership, all of the low countries, Belgium and, and, and Denmark and, and the Netherlands, and even Great Britain was affected because of the godliness of this man's rule. We've had men in our nation before that I believe have been very godly rulers. But we have to be careful about trying to equate somebody's confession of faith with being a Christian. Jesus says, it is by your fruits that you will know them. I will, we pray for our presidents every week. We pray for our presidents. God tells us to do so. So it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican or an independent, we're going to pray for our president. If we lived in Russia, we would pray for Vladimir Putin. Oh, that would be hard. But we would pray for Vladimir Putin if we lived in Russia. We would. But here's the deal. You can't take just what a man says. You have to look at his deeds. That's why there are times when we've rejoiced at what a Democratic president or a Republican president has done without saying this man is a man or a woman of God. 
The meaning of the beast is a paraphrase of the image in Revelation 13, and let me show you that. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed, and the whole world marveled at the miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. That was in Revelation 13. Verse 14, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. There is no way he is going to deceive the nations and the peoples of this world without it being religious. And that's what you've got to understand. There was something Karl Marx said that was right. Religion is the opiate of the people. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is faith in a living God and a living Jesus Christ. Amen? And so it's very important to understand. He won't be able to do this without religion. Well, real quickly, he was defeated by Christ at Calvary. This is the manifestation of the devil, but he is allowed to come back. Look at Luke 4, 6. I will give you the glories of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Jesus didn't argue with him on that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he be set free, set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of this dying. That's what makes Calvary. He defeated the enemy. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. For some reason, and I do not pretend to understand, I've been asked this question a thousand times. If you ask me tonight, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Why does God give him this span of time? I don't know. But what I do know is that everything God does is good and it's perfect and it will work out for our good and his glory. You've got to believe that or when you face the powers of evil sometime. Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching about what happens when your world falls apart. Sometimes God allows us to go through adverse situations. Sometimes God allows that. But God is still in control. Well, let me skip on down here real quickly. Um, Let's go to Revelation 17, verse 11. It starts with the scarlet beast in your outline and... um, on the screen there. There it is. Thank you. The scarlet beast, the scarlet beast it was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. Now, there's a little bit of wordplay right there. Sunday was known in church history as the eighth day because worship for the Christians was no longer on the Sabbath day. Our new beginnings was on the eighth day. And why do we worship on Sunday? Because it's the day that Christ was raised from the dead. He was raised today. Uh, so we worship the, uh, on the Sunday. The Sabbath is, is Saturday for the Jewish people. He, like the other seven, he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed for their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he's the Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Now, just for a moment, this this resurrected beast is going to be given the power of deception to call a confederation of nations, a confederacy, if you want to use that word, a confederacy to rebel against the Lord. 
again, this is a lot symbolic. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I want you to follow along with me because they're going to go against the Lamb. They're going to go against the Lord of Lords. They're going to go against the chosen and faithful ones. And the angel said to me, the waters for the prostitute is really represents masses of people from every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And the woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of this world. The number seven represents fullness. So the beast represents the fullness of blasphemy and evil. Ten is that indefinite number that is repeated over and over. And that represents the multiplicity of rulers in a confederacy against the church and against Christ. However this comes about, they at first agree to go to battle against Jesus and his followers. But something is going to happen that is going to shock the religious rulers of this world. And that is the harlot, Babylon, will be totally destroyed by evil because evil always turns on itself. If you build a nation on greed, eventually greed will consume it. If you build a nation on violence, violence will consume it. If you build a nation on deception, deception will consume it. Be not deceived, the scripture says. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. But things are under control. That's the amazing thing here. God, the Bible says, God has put this in their hearts to accomplish his purpose. God is in control. And so wrapping this up, honey, if you don't mind coming to the piano, wrapping this up tonight, when you look at Babylon, you're looking at the complete opposite of God's plan, a salvation without a crucified Christ, a salvation without a cross, a salvation without the shedding of blood, a salvation that says, we can build ourselves a city. We can make ourselves a name. We can protect our way. We are humanists. We, we can predict our own way. And that may come through, you know, an Eastern religion. That may come through uh, a, a, an aberration of Christianity. That may come through a whole new expression. Babylon is the opposite of Christ's bride, the church. The church is not a whore. The church is not a prostitute. Paul says, I long to present you to the Lord pure and spotless and without a wrinkle. I'm pretty wrinkled up tonight. I've been here all day. I didn't get a chance to go home and change. I'm pretty wrinkled up this evening. You understand wrinkle, don't you? When I was a Bible college student, I never had to iron any clothes in my life. My mama and my sisters took such good care of me. My first load of laundry, I ruined it, trying to save money. I had to call daddy and say, daddy, I got to have some help. He laughed. My second load of laundry with my new clothes that they sent me, 
I was in too big a hurry, so I stuffed all those warm clothes out of the dryer from the Lakeland Mall, right down into a bag, threw them in the trunk of my car. And the next day when I went to get them out, there was no help. I couldn't iron those clothes. You can get the wrinkles out. I learned a lot of lessons. When I came to Jesus, I was wrinkled. I was dirty. I was scarred. But Jesus made my life brand new. Jesus, any good deeds are associated with your life or my life. It's not because I was a good man or I'm a good man. It's because of the difference that Jesus has made into our lives. Get it? It's not because we have saved ourselves. If you're a self-made man, you're pathetic. We used to put up big signs around here, we build people, we build people. And I still believe in that philosophy of ministry, but... One day I was sitting in here praying and I looked up that sign and I remember thinking, Lord, please don't let us build a Frankenstein. Please don't let us build a Frankenstein. What do you do with a chapter like this, living today? Well, the first thing is I think you've got to take comfort that number one, praise God for his mercy and share your faith with others. Easter's coming up. I've never had anybody get mad at me for sharing my faith with them. I've never had any friends quit hanging out with me because of sharing my faith with them. I've had some people say, I don't want to hear it anymore, and that's okay. But praise God for his mercy now. Keep short accounts with God because when the rapture happens, you don't want to be one of those that have deceived yourself into thinking, you know what, I've got it all together. There's no need for me to, to come and confess the Lord and my heart grows cold and hard-hearted and I go through the motions but I don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Keep your heart pure. Be ready. Jesus, uh, please hear me. Some of you, uh, some of you, I don't want it to be me or my children but there will be people in churches that will miss the rapture. Jesus said that his coming is going to be like those ten virgins. Five of them, they had their lamps full and burnt. They were prepared for the coming. They were prepared. Five of them will be foolish because they said he delays his coming. He delays his coming. It could be tonight. As a matter of fact, I hope it is tonight. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm ready to see some blue skies and warm weather. But Jesus could come tonight. Babylon can be a beautiful and exciting place to live in. Don't be deceived by it. I'm going to tell you, Los Angeles was exciting to go to. Paris was exciting to walk along. Planting a church in Antwerp, Belgium was an exciting place to plant a church. Washington, D.C. just blows me away every time I'm there. This world can be an attractive and comfortable place to live in. But this world is not our home. Our home is with Jesus. Amen? And we don't want, we got to remember going back to what I said earlier tonight. God says, pray for the city, pray for America, pray for our nations, pray for revival. But when it's time, you want to be ready to come out. You want to be ready. Which means I've got to be careful to evaluate, evaluate my life prayerfully. I've got to judge myself. I've got to judge myself is what I'm doing, is it glorifying God? Is what I'm doing helping other people? Is what I'm doing 
lifting up Becky and our children? Is it being faithful? Do I use my time faithfully to pastor and to serve? Do I represent Christ faithfully in our neighborhood? And I was thinking about this this morning and giving God thanks. I have received more honors. I don't even keep plaques anymore. Things that people have given me, meals or trips or whatever, I don't deserve. But the glory always has to go back to God. And if God, look at me, if God can trust you with his name, if God can trust you with a pure heart, God can use you for anything in this world. Because there are people who want to use religion or religiosity to use it for selfish gain. And then finally tonight, let's pray for the persecuted church. It grieves me. 215 million people actively persecuted. I don't know if he will, but I pray that our president will bring up the fate of persecuted Christians. It's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. I pray he'll bring that up. I pray that he'll have the courage to bring that up. I pray that our secretaries of state will have the courage to deal with these issues and not sweep them under the rug. And I pray that we will be a church that not only glorifies God, but we use these resources that God has given us to also help our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. We have another missionary coming to be with us on Sunday for a window on the world, and I can't wait to have him here. So would you stand with me? Let's sing this together. He is Lord. Hallelujah. He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Jesus, we don't study these things because they're intriguing. And right now, it feels like a bit of a slog going through this. But God, if we'll meditate upon these things, Lord Jesus, we'll be able to understand what's happening in our world. This Babylonian spirit was manifested, Lord, in Jerusalem. God, it was manifested in Syria. It was manifested in Rome. It was manifested in London. It was manifested in Germany. It's being manifested tonight, Lord, in places like China. And Lord, I sense it even coming hard in America, trying to capture the minds of people trying to capture the hearts of our institutions. I pray in the name of Jesus that God, you will give us great boldness like the early church prayed for, to bear witness to you and that signs and wonders will follow wherever we go. That the people we pray for, the people on our impact list, the people we visit, Lord, 
they will sense the power and the presence of the risen Lamb of God in our lives. And Jesus, before that time comes, they will confess their faith in you, be born again, and miss this time of tribulation that will come upon the earth. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. If you have some questions, I'll be glad to stick around and talk to you about them.